Happy Mother's Day to uh, all the uh, moms in here. We celebrate uh, Mother's Day because, well, because you're a mom, you know. Uh, Mother's Day is always an opportunity for me to remember uh, just, you know, she's, it's not like she's gone, she's still uh, alive, but, uh, you know, just to remember, <laughs> I was like, oh, I think it's coming out a little bit weird. Um, you know, my dad was the fighter and the protector. You know, if I think about <clears throat> the roles they played, if there was any injustice being done, he would go to battle, you know, and he would fight for his family and he would protect his family. And sometimes it, it seemed very harsh and hard, but that's, you know, that was his role, you know. My mom was the one who sacrificed uh, for us. You know, she gave up things so that we could have have things. And so in many ways, she became the person that I would come to for comfort. If I was sick, I'd come to my mom because she knew how to cook stuff that would bring me comfort, right? Comfort food. That's a literal thing for me. I, I don't know if that's a phrase or something, but yeah, there's food that actually gives me comfort. It's kind of funny, right? Um, you know, my dad tried to do that for me once and it was just awful, right? He boiled some stuff down until it became a soup. Wasn't good. So we, we remember our moms, but here's the thing. I would go to my mom if I needed something that I knew she was kind of, that was her role. I'd go to my dad if, for, for other things, because I, I knew that was his role. Well, you and I, we come to our father in prayer when we need comfort, when we need help, when we feel like there are things happening in our lives that are out of our control and we don't have the power to fix things or to shape things, or when we're frustrated. But there, there are many reasons why we come to God in prayer. The reality, though, for many of us, or not the reality, maybe I should say the experience that many of us have, though, is that often we come to God in prayer, and it just doesn't seem like anything happens. You know? Nothing. So today, we're going to look at a passage and a, and a parable that Jesus Christ himself told his disciples, and I think it speaks to us today. I think this parable speaks to this experience I just described that we often go to or, or we sometimes go through. I think hopefully by the end of my message today, you will leave here encouraged and challenged that Christ knew that there would be moments of hardship in our life. He knew that we were prone to giving up. He knew we we're prone to despair. He knew we we're prone to losing heart. And so he encourages us, his church, his disciples, to not give up and to pray, to keep praying. And he's going to tell us why we should do that. So if you pay attention, I think at the end of the next hour and a half, just checking to see if you're paying attention, the end of whatever, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, uh, that uh, Christ's parable will really encourage us uh, as his children to really persevere through life, to not lose despair, and to not lose hope, and to keep on going, all right? So that's my hope and prayer, and if somehow that didn't work out for you at the end of today, just return to the passage, give me a call, you know, a lot of times I don't do a good job, I think, but I'm going to try my best today. Here's the thing. Jesus tells this really amazing parable, and it's only found in Luke. So you're not going to find it in any of the other uh, Gospels. It's only found in Luke. And he tells this parable in a specific setting. And here's the setting, all right? Here's 
how, here's the events or the things that led up to Jesus telling this parable we just read. People come up to Jesus, I mean, he's kind of proven himself. He's been teaching, he's been ministering, he's been working in the land, and people are beginning to realize that Jesus is not just another guy. And so people come to him and they ask him a really important question. And the question they ask him is in Luke 17, 20, they say, hey, all right, when will the kingdom of God come? This is a natural question for people who are, who are living in a certain situation. They were politically, right, not free. Uh, they were living in, you know, captivity, although they had a lot of freedoms in everyday life still. They were under the dominion of the, the Roman Empire. They had a special history, all right? And, and this history that these people had was, was fraught with being in bondage, uh, living in slavery, and then being delivered. And so, and, and, and then there were these promises that they would be delivered. So for, you got to understand, that at the time of Christ, people were waiting. They were waiting for a savior. They were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for someone to come and, and start a, this kingdom of God, this new kingdom where they would be free. And when they saw Jesus, they're like, all right, maybe he knows. When is the kingdom of God coming? It's been a long time. And in response, he says, look, the kingdom is here. It's a way of, you know, he, you know, maybe he doesn't say it as plainly as he could. He's saying the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Look, don't be looking for this sign and that sign. The kingdom of God is here in the midst of you. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, look, you guys, listen up. There's going to be a day when you long for the glory of God to just be revealed. There's going to be a time, and it's coming, when you would just wish Christ would come, the Messiah would come. What he's saying to his disciples is, yeah, you know what? You're, you're following me, and because you're following me, there's this life you're called to, and as you follow me, there's going to be moments when you just wish God would be more real, when you just wish God would be more powerful, when you just wish God would just reveal himself. But Christ first has to suffer. He first has to be rejected by this generation. He first has to go to the cross, is what he says in verse 25 of 17. And he says, just like it was in the days of, of Noah, verse 26, when people were eating and drinking and marrying, and just like it was in the days of Lot, verse 28, when people were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, so it will be, verse 30, on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. These lists, the eating, the drinking, the buying, the selling, the planting, the building, these lists describe sort of the life of of man, where we're caught up in the everyday life of building up possessions, of seeking pleasure, of desiring this, of putting our hopes into the temporary things that we find and seek and see every day. And so see, we think our lives is all about what? Eating and drinking, getting married. We think our lives is all about buying and selling, planting and building. But in the midst of all of that, Jesus is calling his disciples to remain faithful. And he says, you're going to be trying to serve God in this kind of environment. You're going to wish, oh, I just wish God would just come. 
And he says the answer to all of this, right? When you're about to give up, when you're about to lose hope, when you're discouraged, when you're being persecuted because you're following me, because you're my disciple, when things don't seem to be real, when maybe the glory of God has dissipated so much in your life that you just want to quit, he says, during that time, this is what you've got to do, verse 18.1. He says you've got to pray and not lose heart. And he's going to teach that to his disciples with this parable. And it's a great parable. It's a simple parable. And it only has two characters. So for those of you who have a short attention span, that's me, it's very easy to follow. In the f- first verse, verse 2, we're introduced to the first character of this parable. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. So right away, we're introduced to this judge And he has two really major character flaws. First of all, he does not uh, fear God. Now, that was a problem if you're a judge. To illustrate this, I think I want to point you back uh, to a time that preceded this, and it was in the days of King Jehoshaphat, and he was trying to restore order to the land, and he was trying to bring the people of God back to God, and what he started doing was he started appointing judges, right, so that there would be order in the land, and as he appointed judges, this is what he told the judges in 2 Chronicles 19, 6 and 7, he says, look, consider what you're doing, all right, you're about to become a judge, so, so consider what you do. You judge not for man, meaning, you look, you're not, you're not just taking on a role to serve mankind and etc. You are judging, all right, for whom? None less than the Lord, okay? And he is with you and giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of God be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God. There is no impartiality with the Lord our God. There is no taking bribes with the Lord our God. As a judge is appointed in the land at that time, it was a position of incredible power. You would hear a case, you would make decisions that would affect people's lives, and your duty was to reflect the justice of God as you make decisions. So you had to have the fear of God because it wasn't about what you think is right. It's not about what you would think is going to be, uh, make you happy. It's not about serving yourself. It's about serving God. And so for this judge to be described in this manner in 18.2 of Luke, a judge who has no fear of God, this is a judge you do not want to stand before because he's not afraid of anything. He's not afraid of God. But on top of that, he does not care for mankind. He has no respect for his fellow man. If he at least had a heart for people, if he at least would care like, oh, this person's getting, man, that's the uh, raw end of the deal here. This This is not right. If at least he had that kind of a heart where he would care for people, respect people, love his brothers and sisters, his countrymen, I mean, we'd be talking about a judge that maybe, you know, I'd be willing to stand before. But not only does he not fear God, he doesn't care for anyone except himself. We're introduced to the next character in the next verse, verse 3, this widow who comes before this very judge. Now right away, that word widow, uh, in the time of Jesus, 
you know, it was a word that really described a person whose life was a, was a certain life. And to illustrate this, uh, you know, R. Kent Hughes, the way he describes widows in the time of Christ, in this place, in this land, was that they were the most defenseless in Hebrew society at that time. They could be oppressed, they could be taken advantage of, but they were defenseless. People were not willing to help. Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology describes widows and their situation. It was more than the loss of a husband. It was more than the loss of someone that they loved. It was, at that time, social and economic tragedy is how it's described. It was such a patriarchal culture that when the husband died, there was this cultural death as well. So for a widow, and when you hear that word widow, there was this connotation of someone, of a person who was living a marginal existence in extreme poverty. So this widow comes before this judge, and she asks for one Simple thing. She asked for justice. Give me justice against my adversary. End of verse 3. Give me justice against my adversary. Verse 4 tells us, and this shouldn't surprise us, the judge refuses to give her justice. After all, we're already you know, told in the description of him this is probably what would happen. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't care. He doesn't respect people. Of course. By the fact that it was highlighted that she was a widow, already you're kind of thinking, oh man, she's going to get the right end of the deal again. She's defenseless. She always you know, gets taken advantage of. She's always oppressed. So it's not surprising that the judge would refuse to give her justice. But I guess what's surprising is that after a while, this is what he says in his own words. I don't fear God. I don't respect man. I don't care. I'm not a good judge is what he's saying. But because this widow keeps bothering me, I'm going to give her justice. I'm going to give her what she's asking for so that she will not beat me down by coming over and over and over again. He describes her pleas, her demands for justice as a beating he took. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but parents, we know what this is like, right? Are we there yet? Are we almost there yet? How long is this car ride? Wow, why don't you get a car with a TV so I could at least watch TV? Are we there yet? It's been like 30 minutes, but you said that it would be 30 minutes an hour ago. And if you're driving, it does feel like you're getting beat up a little bit. When will I get a phone? Everyone has a phone. I don't have a phone. You know, you got me this phone, but this phone is terrible. It breaks all the time. It freezes. I need the new iPhone. Why don't I get that phone? There's this beating. And so you know what? Most of us parents, we know what it's like to kind of give in to that just so they'll stop bothering us. I know I've given in. You know, I'm, I'm the kind, if you punch me once, I usually give in. 
now. Dad, can I get an Instagram account? No, no Instagram for you. 30 minutes later, Dad, I, this Instagram is really cool. Can I have, all right, all right, stop bothering me. So we know what that's like. But I think what we tend to do as we look at this parable is we think, all right, so I get what Jesus is saying. Maybe what we need to do is we need to beat up God. We need to persist. So we need to ask over and over and over again every day of our lives for what we need and what we want. And we need to make this the prayer. And we need to ask for justice. And we need to bother him so much that God will say, all right, all right, all right. I hear you. The only problem with that is it doesn't make sense. God, first of all, is an eternal God. And guess what? If you come before an eternal being who's existed since eternity and who will exist for eternity, right? Who, who's, not, you know, he, he doesn't have a calendar, right? He doesn't sit there and, and think, oh, it's been, a, you know, a, a trillion years. Wow, happy birthday to me. He's eternal. If you come before an eternal God and you bother him for 50 years, 50 years is nothing for an eternal God, right? It's nothing. Not only is our lifespan nothing for an eternal being, God is the definition of patience. You think he's going to get frustrated over you after a couple years of asking for the same thing? And he's going to be like, oh my gosh, I give up. I give up. So what is this parable teaching us? This parable is a parable of contrasts. So the picture that Jesus gives us is the picture of a widow who has nothing. Marginalized, completely marginalized. Who comes before a judge who doesn't even deserve to be a judge. And yet she gets what she wants, which is justice because she doesn't stop asking for it. And Jesus is saying, did you hear what the judge says in this parable? Did you hear that? Listen, verse six, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Think about it. If a widow in this story will get justice because she doesn't stop asking, well, think about who we are. Think about what we do. See, it's a parable of contrast, number one. God is not an unjust judge. He is the picture of justice, amen? He's not someone who has no fear and doesn't care and does whatever he wants to do. He is the image, the definition of justice. There is not an ounce of injustice in God. There's not an ounce of impartiality in God. And the one we come before when we pray, when we make our requests, this is who we're coming before. And secondly, what this parable is trying to bring out is we are not widows. We're not defenseless. We're not marginalized. We're not pushed to the edge of society. We have not died cultural deaths. No matter what we go through in this life and no matter what the world thinks of us, we have the greatest advocate, Jesus Christ who suffered the greatest injustice 
so that we would be chosen and called elect. Do you see that? And Christ is saying to his disciples, if even this widow would get justice because she kept pleading, what about us? How can we stop praying? How can we give up? How can we lose heart? How can we stop when we know that our God is just and when we know he loves us and when we know he calls us and when he know, man, he died for us. Can't stop. And in fact, he makes a promise that seems a little bit ridiculous. He says, God will give justice to his elect to cry to him day and night, verse 7. Will he delay long? Is he going to wait a long time over them when he hears them crying out? I tell you, verse 8, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, this is where it gets hard for some of us because you're like, well, <laughs> I was with you. I, was, I, can, I, I can go with how God is just and he's not like this unjust judge. I can go with you on how God loves us and cares for us and how we're not widows. We have, in fact, Jesus Christ as our advocate. But um, the part where you say God will not delay and the part where you say or where Christ himself says that there's going to be this speedy deliverance of justice, well, that's the part I kind of struggle with because, well, you and I are probably similar when we say, yeah, it seems like God waits. Seems like more often than not, there's a delay. Right? We pray, nothing. We pray again, uh, you know. So here's the thing. How can Christ say that? How can Christ say this? That not only his disciples back then, thousands of years ago, but how can this be included in the gospel of Luke so that God would say this to the church today? How can this be our encouragement today to not lose hope, to keep praying to a God who is just, to keep praying to a God who loves us, that he will deliver justice speedily? Here's something we have to remember. First of all, God does not delay in answering us, God does not delay in hearing our prayers. God does not delay in delivering justice because he's not just or because he's not able or because he doesn't love us. Those are not things that we should think. If you pray to God and it doesn't seem like there's an answer right away, that it's not, you know, the, the, the answer is not, oh, it's because God doesn't love me. The answer is not, oh, God doesn't listen to me. The answer is not, oh, God is not being just. All right, what is it then? Here's a couple of things for us to remember. First of all, when God says he will give justice speedily, speedily does not mean immediately. Speedily does not mean immediately. In fact, we have to understand that God has a timetable that is different from our timetable. After all, God is an eternal God. Uh, Stephen Cole, I think, illustrates this beautifully in his thoughts on this passage. And he points out these wonderful truths. He says, look, God appeared to Noah and says, Noah, there's going to be a flood. Build an ark. After God appears to Noah and tells him there's going to be a flood, 100 years go by without a drop of rain. <laughs> 100 years. God promises to Abraham and Sarah, Abraham, you're going to have a son. But Sarah goes through menopause. And in fact, she has to wait 25 years before she gives birth to a son, Isaac. 
God tells his people who are living in bondage in Egypt, you know what, I will deliver you. But his people had to wait 400 years before Moses was raised up to be that prophet that would deliver the people of God. 400 years. Speedily by God's calendar is not necessarily speedily by our calendar. And in fact, 2 Peter 3, 8-9 is an often quoted verse that illustrates this. It says this, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. A thousand years for one day. For God is like one day. God has a plan. And God has a timetable. And think about this. Jesus is telling his disciples thousands of years ago, look, I know you want the glory of the Son of Man to be revealed like right now. I know you want that right now. But you know, in God's plan, he had a church in 2007 that would be planted in Brea, California. This church. He had people in mind that would come thousands of years after his disciples that he wanted to save, you and I. And so unfortunately for his disciples, they were going to have to wait. But you know what's, the thing for us is that we don't have to fear death and we don't have to fear getting old because we've got better days waiting for us, right? Amen? And part of that reality is that we're going to spend eternity with Christ in heaven. Amen? I mean, if you're a Christian, that's one of the greatest promises that we hold on to, that the resurrection of Christ guarantees our resurrection. And here's the thing for you and me. When we're eternally living with God, we're going to look back one day on our lives here on earth, and it's going to seem like a breath. It's going to seem like a day. You know, it's kind of like how I remember I visited the house that I grew up in as a child. And when I was a child, I thought that house was huge. And then when I saw it again, I was like, this house is tiny. Why did I think it was so big? And right now, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 80 years seems like an eternity. But we're going to look back on our lives and the, the, the span of our days here and especially the span of our difficulties, our struggles, our hardships, the times when we want to give up and lose hope and despair, and we're going to think, that was just a breath. It was so short. Why did we think it was so long? You know, my daughter, she's got like a month left in middle school, and I'm so happy because I really, really cannot stand the pickup system at my daughter's middle school. It's really weird. They have this one little turnaround, and you've got like hundreds of kids being picked up at the same time by parents, but you're supposed to line up with your car in this thing. And it's frustrating because it's not done well, so like other cars cut, and you know, there's ways around it. But, and if you really, really want to sit there, it's a long process. We have parents who show up over 30 minutes early to pick up their kid, and they sit there in line. Ah, so whenever my wife says, hey, you got to pick up Sophia, I was going to ah. Because I get there and it's like this huge test of patience for me. And I'm always like, Lord, help me, help me today. You know, help me. We have church members who go to this school and I do not want to look like a fool today, right? But it's happened a couple times where I'll finally make my way to the front. I didn't cut anyone off. I followed the system. I was a rule follower. You know, I 
did the line thing, and I finally get up to the front, and I look around, and my daughter is nowhere to be found. I'm like, where is she? And so I'll call her, hey, where are you? Oh, Dad, where are you? I'm like, uh, <laughs> if I'm asking where you are, well, I don't say all of that, but that's what I'm thinking. I'm just like, hey, just come out to the front. Let's go. All right, I'll be out in 10 minutes. No, 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 no. It took me 30 minutes to get here. 30 minutes from two blocks because of this line. So come out now. Oh, all right, I'll be right there. And 10 minutes later when she comes out, oh, hey, Dad. I'm like, all right, let's go. But what happens when I'm late? Right? What happens? What happens when all her friends have been picked up now? And so she doesn't have anyone left to joke around with and, you know, be silly with. And she's just waiting by herself. And I'm not in the front yet. What does she do? She calls me. Dad, where are you? I'm almost to the front of this ridiculous line. I see the tennis courts. Don't worry. I'm almost there. Hurry up. Why are you always so late? I'm almost there. Relax. I've got things I was trying to take care of in the office. But, you know, my daughter takes after me. Because the way she is with me, I'm like that with God. I like to tell God, look, this is my plan in my life. And this is what I'm trying to do right now. And this is where I'm at. This is the stage I'm in right now. And I'm, I'm trying to finish this. I like to tell them what I want to do this year, what I want to do next year, what I want to do next week, next month. I'm a, I like to do that. I, I know I don't look like a planner. <laughs> but my wife, you know, it's driven her to agony because I'm a planner. And like, even when we got married, I was trying to plan our wedding registry, which I don't know why I was doing that. Like, no, 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 we don't want that because I'm going to get that from somewhere else or something. But, and then when God tells me to wait, ah, it's like, Lord, <laughs> what is going on, right? Heaven forbid I have to wait 30 seconds for him to answer my prayer requests. Maybe you're like me. We want to dictate the timetable. We want to tell God when he needs to do this by, when he should give us something by, when he should remove pain in our lives by, when he should remove struggles by, how he should do it. But if he makes us wait, ah, where is the power of God? Today, I hope you're encouraged by what Christ told his disciples because I really think it's something he's telling us today. God's got this great plan for the church. It's one of those plans that we can't see all of it from our perspective. And so the, the great love and power of God is not always going to be always evident every moment that we're alive. In fact, I think part of his plan is that he puts some hardship, some struggles, some things in our lives that are difficult because in the big picture, sometimes it's going to be for the good of the church. Not even all the time for the good of us, but for the good of the church. And man, his timing is perfect. Amen. 
And because his timing is perfect, and because his plan is perfect, and because he is such a just God who loves you, by the way, with all that he is, willing to send his only begotten son to die for you on the cross, for him to suffer injustice so that we could experience the justice that we don't deserve, we should keep praying. No matter what we see, we should keep praying. And we should never lose heart. And we should never despair because of who he is. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the parable in Luke 18 that you taught your disciples. We thank you for the truths taught in there. And we confess to you that we're often impatient people. And Lord, we like to see things happen according to our schedule and our timetable. But Lord... We realize that your plan is perfect and not ours, but we need a reminder every day. We need to be reminded every day of our lives of how awesome you are, of how just you are, of how you called us and how much you love us, how much you care for us, that we ought to trust in you, Lord. So help us pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.